Amen. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a passage from Ephesians chapter 5. So I'd invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 this evening. Uh, we are continuing this series where we're answering some questions which every Christian should know. We started a few weeks ago by asking the question, can the Bible be trusted? And then we looked at last week, why Christians have so many problems. And tonight, we ask the question and answer, is being spirit-filled important? Is it important to be a spirit-filled Christian? Now, I want you to imagine a scenario with me for a second. Imagine you buy a car for the very first time. It is the first car you have ever owned. You've never driven a car before, and you know absolutely nothing about engines. You're excited about this new car. You love how nice and shiny it looks. It's brand new. It has just a spectacular paint job. And you even go so far as to invite all of your friends, all of your loved ones to come and to show off how impressive the paint job is on your car and even how fancy the interior is. It has all these buttons and gadgets that just are wonderful. But there is something wrong with this car. Everywhere you take the car, you have to push it. If you're fortunate enough to come to a hill, you can jump in and let it coast as it goes down the hill, but even hills don't excite you too much because you know you're going to have to push the car up the hill once you get to the very bottom of the hill. And as proud as you may be of your new car and how fancy it looks, how awesome the interior may be, you often wish you never bought the car in the first place. When you were hoping it would be a blessing, it turns out to be more of a burden to you and more of a nuisance. You were hoping it would help you out quite a bit as far as your travel is concerned, but what you found is that you're the one helping the car out more than the car is helping you out. One day, imagine that a friend comes to you and says, I'd like to show you something about this fancy new car of yours. You see that right there on the inside next to the steering wheel. That is something we call an ignition. Take that key that you were given, put it into that ignition, and turn it. And you do as he suggests, and you turn it, and there is this vroom sound as the car fires up, the engine fires up. And you're thinking, well, what's that? And your friend tells you, that is the sound of the car's engine. Now, take that lever right there, turn it to the point that says D, and then press that pedal. And miraculously, the car begins to move forward with power. Now, at this point, you're thinking, wow, this is incredible. Why didn't someone tell me about this before? Why didn't someone show me this sooner? Now, I know what you're thinking. This is an absolutely ridiculous scenario. No one could be that clueless. You're right. No one could be that clueless. Unless, of course, we're speaking of Christians who don't understand the power and the importance of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Many Christians don't understand that at the very moment they are saved, God has imparted to us the Holy Spirit who brings power, who brings life, who brings, and, and I use this term not, to, not in an irreverent way, but the Holy Spirit brings the engine, if you will, to our salvation. Many Christians are somewhat proud of their Christianity, but it has become almost a burden to them. Rather than it carrying them, they feel like they have to push their salvation every way. 
And as a result, they're grinding out this matter of being a Christian because they haven't understood what it is to live the Spirit-filled life. When you're living the Spirit-filled life, it will bring life, it will bring vibrance to that which was dull and drab before. When you're filled with the Spirit, it will bring life, it will bring just vitality to this, what it was just completely boring. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll not be looking at your Christianity like it is a burden. But you'll begin to see and experience just how encouraging and uplifting Christianity can be. Now this evening we answer this question, is being spirit-filled important? Uh, Coincidentally, we're going to also answer the question, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? So with your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5, would you follow along as I read verses 15 through 18? Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse number 15, and I'll read down through verse 18. We'll look at other verses here in the context, but just to begin, we'll look at these four verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. First, I want to identify several reasons for the Spirit-filled life. Several reasons for the Spirit-filled life. Look again at verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you should notice that what is being suggested here in this verse is actually not a suggestion, but it is a command. It's not asking a question, it's not making a suggestion, but it is a command that we are to obey. Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first reason to live the Spirit-filled life is because we're commanded to as Christians. We're commanded to obedience. Imagine if one Sunday morning I, I, I staggered to the pulpit. Imagine if my hair was disheveled more than what it is normally. Imagine my eyes were bloodshot. Imagine I could hardly put sentences together without slurring my speech. And suppose to top it all off, I reeked of alcohol. Think about what your reaction would be. Let me venture a guess. Aside from all the mumbling that would probably be taking place, hopefully I'd be removed from this platform. Meetings would take place. I guarantee it. And it's quite possible that I'd also be asked to leave. I never foresee such a thing happening, but if I ever did, you should throw me out and never think twice about it. Pastors are supposed to set the example and a very high example. Standing behind the pulpit to present God's word while being drunk is not setting the right example. But what is interesting is that the Bible speaks here about not being drunk also and says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So believe it or not, as much as it says here, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, it would be a far greater sin for a pastor to show up not filled with the Spirit of God than for him to show up drunk. Now I know you're thinking, yes, that's preposterous, that's crazy. How could you even suggest suggest such a thing? Because from the visual eye, it would look far better for him to show up not spirit-filled than to show up drunk. And I know this may seem a bit extreme, but 
Think this through with me for a moment. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse number 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In other words, it is worse for you to not do what you know you should do than to do what you know you shouldn't do. As a matter of fact, if you're doing what you should be doing, you won't be, you won't be doing what you shouldn't be doing because you can only do one thing at a time. Now, I've totally confused you here. But the man who is spirit-filled is not going to be drunk in the first place because he knows he shouldn't be. You can't be spirit-filled and drunk at the same time. However, you can be sober and not spirit-filled at the same time. I think this goes without saying, but it is true that far more damage has been done in our churches by pastors who are not spirit-filled as opposed to pastors who were drunk. Far more damage has been done in our churches by men who were trying to do the work of the Lord in their own flesh. Look back again at what it says here in verse number 17, or verse number 18, sorry. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now I mentioned that we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And I say that because the words be filled are in the imperative mood. That means it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a piece of advice. It's not a question. It is a command. It, just like when you want something done that is extremely important, you would say to someone, it is imperative that this gets done right away. It is understood that whatever you are speaking of is absolutely necessary. And what we also notice is that it is in the present tense here. It doesn't say at some point you should get filled. It says, be filled. Don't wait, do it right away. We also see that it speaks of a continual action. It doesn't say, be full, as in, were you ever filled before? But it literally says, be filled, with the idea of be being filled. There is a continual need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not the same as having the Holy Spirit indwell you. Because that is done at the moment of salvation, and when you are saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and He doesn't leave, He doesn't come and go. He stays there permanently until you're received into the glories of heaven. But being filled with the Spirit is the Christian's conscious, conscious yielding to the Holy Spirit's guidance and control in our lives. And the command here in Ephesians 5.18 is for Christians to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And this goes for every single Christian. It is a call to an active Christianity, an active effort to be yielding yourself over to Holy Spirit control. We must consciously act upon it. The good part is that the Lord desires to fill every single believer with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be spirit-filled. That's the first reason for it. But secondly, we're obligated to be spirit-filled. A lot of people think, well, if I only knew what I should be doing, I'd be able to do it. Well, that's not entirely true because in order to live the Spirit-filled life, we need the power of God. You may know what it is that God expects of you and what He expects you to do, but you'll never be able to do that on your own. We need God's help to fulfill our obligations. Consider what God expects of us in our worship. Notice what we're told in verse number 19 here in Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
The Bible is speaking about our worship here in this verse. And in order to worship God the right way, we need to be spirit-filled Christians. Just because something is called a, a worship service and you've attended it, doesn't mean that what actually takes place there is true worship. A service apart from the Holy Spirit is honestly nothing more than a waste of time. Not to mention it's incredibly boring most of the time. All we end up doing in a service like that is just wear out the cushions in our seats. It is truly a sad spectacle to see a church building that is filled with people, but people that are empty, people that are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And in order to keep worship from becoming routine, from becoming mundane, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see what we're supposed to be doing as far as worship, but from this church life, we shift to the home life. We have obligations at home which require every single Christian to be filled with the Spirit. Jump down a few verses, down to verse number 22, here in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now in the world that we live in, this verse is politically incorrect. This does not fly. This is not acceptable. Some like to argue that for the wife to submit to her husband, that makes her inferior. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. Because everyone knows that a woman is infinitely superior to a man at being a woman. And men are superior to women at being men. God made us different so that he could make us one. The Bible tells us here that wives are to submit to their husbands, their own husbands. And this act of submission speaks of a voluntary placing of herself under another equal so that God might be glorified. This has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28, it speaks of Christ being subject to God the Father. It says, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that's speaking of God the Father, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That verse is not at all suggesting that Jesus is inferior to God the Father in any sort of way. In fact, the Bible says about Christ that he has a name that is above every name. So the only way we learn the true spirit of submission, though, is by having that spirit-filled life. We don't look at it as being a struggle between being looked upon as inferior or one being superior than the next. As you look further down this passage, you find that it isn't just speaking about women, but notice what we are told in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How is it possible for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church? The only way this is done is through living that spirit-filled life. When you look at the obligations between the husband and the wife, you actually find that the husband has the more difficult role here. The wife is to submit. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church. Now what this means for the husband is that he is to love his wife sacrificially. He is to love his wife and provide for her. Jesus provided himself for the church. The husband is to love his wife with a steadfast love. As Jesus' love for the church is unconditional. The husband is to love his wife selflessly. The same way Jesus put our needs before his own. 
When a husband is loving his wife the right way, it is not a struggle for the wife to submit to her husband because he is showing her in all the right ways the same love to her that Christ has for the church. The problem comes when the husband tries to do everything on his own without the power of the Holy Spirit to help him along the way. We can't love our wives as much as Jesus can. But with Jesus, we can when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. From the home life, we shift to the work life. Working our way through the book of Ephesians, I want you to notice in the next chapter, chapter 6 and verse number 5, what we're told here as far as the work life is concerned. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Whatever it is that you may work, you are to obey your employer. When you arrive to work in the morning, you are to serve your employer as if you are serving Christ. You heard me right. The one you're screaming at in your car alone as you're driving home at the end of the day because you've just had the most miserable day. That person you're screaming at, that's the one you're supposed to treat like it is Christ. The one who doesn't treat you fairly. The one whose face you'd like to put on a pinata and just go to town. No, I'm not like that. But you know what I'm talking about. We're commanded, the Bible says, to serve them as we serve Christ because that is what the Bible says. Someone has said that the motto of today is, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and poison the rest. Many don't like the idea of doing good to those around us because we don't feel that a lot of the people around us deserve to be good, deserve our respect. I'll serve Jesus, but there's no way I'm going to serve that person. I'll serve Jesus, but there's no way I'm going to help this person out. Because if you even knew what they've done to me, they don't deserve my respect. And that's where the Bible pulls the rug out from underneath us. Because it just destroys that notion altogether. Because it says that the way that we are to serve Jesus in the workplace is the same way that we're supposed to serve our employer. Think about why this is important. You present a wonderful testimony when you can serve your employer like you serve Christ. Your job can become an incredible opportunity for you to shine as a light for Christ the more you serve with the idea that in everything that you're doing there is with the idea of pleasing Christ. It should be that every company, that every business, that every organization is seeking to hire those who are Christians. Every temp agency that they call, they should pick up the phone and say, do you have any Christians over there? Because every Christian I've ever had has really had a good work ethic. They were always on time, they were always diligent, and they always treated everyone with respect. That should be the way that things are done. That should be what Christians are known for as far as how we are known in the workplace. Your job can be an incredible opportunity for you to be a witness to someone. We shouldn't be known for being gossips. We shouldn't be known for stealing. We shouldn't be known for being lazy, for being complainers, for being argumentative. We should be known for being on time, for being diligent, for dealing honestly and respectfully with one another. If we as Christians, I wonder, if we as Christians made it a priority to employ the command here of Ephesians 6 verse 5, Monday through Friday, when we're in the workplace, I wonder that perhaps the world might be more receptive to what is taught in these buildings on Sundays. But it goes against our human nature to live this way, doesn't it? But if we're really going to make a difference in our workplace and we're going to follow the command that God has given us, 
We will only do so when we have the Holy Spirit filling us. From the home life, we shift to workplace, and now we shift to spiritual life. Notice what we read a few verses down in chapter 6 and verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, as a Christian, you're engaged in a spiritual battle where the devil and all of his forces are seeking to pull your focus away from Christ. There, he is doing everything he can to make you as ineffective as a Christian as possible. We may think that we have enemies here on earth that are made up of flesh and blood, like the neighbor who just won't stop shoveling snow into our driveway or the neighbor who won't stop blowing his leaves into our lawn in the spring we may think that we have an enemy in the fast food fast food worker who just never gets our order right we may think we have an enemy in the guy who cut us off in traffic we may think we have an enemy in the person who sat in our seat in church on sunday and that's a real thing but our real enemy is not with flesh and blood but in the spiritual realm against the powers of darkness of this world. And if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're going to lose this battle. In 1 John 4, verse 4, it tells us, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is the reality when we're living the Spirit-filled life. Satan may mock us. Satan may ridicule us. He may laugh at us. But he ultimately knows that he is no match against a spirit-filled Christian. From the spiritual life, we shift now to our witnessing. Notice what we read, still in Ephesians chapter 6, and now in verses 19 and 20. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was smart enough to know that it wasn't just a matter of opening his mouth and letting the words fly out. He knew that each word needed to be a word given to him and spoken through the Holy Spirit, or else it's all in vain. Before I step up to preach, I ask the Lord to speak through me because I know I have nothing good to offer you. And if all I speak are my own thoughts, my own opinions, my own ideas, I would urge you to call me on it. You should never expect anyone from this pulpit to preach anything that isn't Scripture. I don't care who it is, because anything short of God's Word is not worth our time. And it shouldn't be tolerated in our churches. That's why I ask for the Lord to speak through me, because there is a huge difference between me speaking and the Holy Spirit speaking through me. I want to preach with such power and such confidence that if Jesus were sitting here among us, he'd be saying, amen, that's right, listen to him. We have all sorts of obligations in this Christian life, and the only way that we're going to fulfill them all the right way is by living the Spirit-filled life. So we're commanded to be Spirit-filled we're obligated to be spirit-filled. And third, notice the opportunities we have in being spirit-filled. The opportunities. Now, jump back to chapter 5 and look with me at verse number 16 here in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, verse 16. It says here, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
we don't have to look far to see how evil this world has indeed become. And based on that fact, the need for spirit-filled Christians becomes paramount. There's never been a greater opportunity than for Christians to be a witness for Christ than today. Every day we live without being spirit-filled is a day we have wasted to be a witness for Christ. Jesus declared in John 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You can't get any less productive than accomplishing nothing. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. Don't expect to be an effective witness without me, he says, because you can't do anything without me. There are so many opportunities that come our way. And if we ever expect to be a godly influence in someone's life, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. I heard the story of a woman who took a course in first aid. Brother Jeremy, you're not going to appreciate this because I know the ending, but... They were having testimonials about first aid. And she stood up and she said, I'd like to give a testimony. She said, the other day out in front of my house, there was this horrible automobile accident. An old man driving his car lost control. He went right over the curb, hit an oak tree, head on. He was thrown out into the street. His skull was fractured. He had compound fractures in his limbs and he was pumping his life's blood on the asphalt. She said it was horrible. But I remembered my first aid training. I remembered that if I put my head between my knees, I wouldn't faint. You're shaking your head because this is just the worst story ever. And I don't believe it's true. But sadly, sadly, this is the kind of Christianity that so many Christians are looking to have. We see all the problems in the world. We're quick to diagnose them. We're quick to acknowledge that they're real. We know that we can be used by the Lord to help people. But we would rather put our head between our knees and tell ourselves, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. Because living in this problem-filled world without God would just be really tough. And that's it. It is indeed a problem-filled world, but all those problems present us opportunities to be used by God as a witness for him. We've identified several reasons for the spirit-filled life, but second, I want you to notice the requirements for the spirit-filled life. The requirements for the spirit-filled life. We're forced to ask this question, how do we get filled with the spirit of God? God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he longs for every single Christian to go through life with power and confidence. And the first requirement that we see is a complete commitment to Christ. A complete commitment to Christ. We must be willing to surrender ourselves to the complete guidance of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, it says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. What we're told here is that the Holy Spirit wants to make himself at home in your life. And in order to do that, he has to be the one who is in complete control. While there may be times where we tell the Holy Spirit, make yourself at home. The reality is, we're only willing to have the Holy Spirit stay in the basement of our homes. We don't want him coming up into the main floor, the second floor, or any other room... But he's in our lives as a Christian because he's indwelling us, but we're only giving him access to a small portion of our lives. 
What areas of our lives are restricted to the Holy Spirit? Maybe our financial life, our relationships, our work life, our personal life, our ambitions. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to occupy every area of our life. It is a complete commitment to the Holy Spirit where you hand over the keys and you say every part of the house, every room, every closet you have full and complete access to. It's all yours. You give him free reign in your life. Complete commitment. The second requirement is to give continual control. To give the Holy Spirit continual control. As previously mentioned, the wording there in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 Again, it says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The wording there, be filled, is literally the idea, be being filled. It's a continual action of being filled. And it's interesting to see the contrast of this verse because it talks about drinking in the part of it, being drunk, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit in the latter half. There's a reason for this specific comparison being made, and that's because when a person is drunk, He is under control of another influence. Nearly everything about him is different as his speech, his thought patterns, even his walk is different. A man who might typically be quiet and mild-mannered might change into an abrasive and violent person when he's drunk. A man might give away possessions when he's drunk. He might enter into commitments while he's drunk that he'll spend the next several years regretting and repenting. When a man is drunk, he's not just influenced by something else, he is dominated by that influence. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, if you're going to be influenced by anything, if you're going to be dominated by anything, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come in. Let the Holy Spirit control your speech. Let the Holy Spirit control your thought patterns. Let the Holy Spirit control your walk. And everything about you be filled with the Spirit of God if you're going to be filled with anything at all. And when you think further into this comparison, you realize that what he's talking about is this constant filling. A man gets drunk by drinking. He stays drunk by continually drinking. Being filled with the Spirit is the same. In that you don't just do it once and now you flip the switch and that switch stays flipped the entire rest of your life and you stay filled with the Holy Spirit forever. You are to be continually filled with the Spirit. It starts with a complete commitment to Christ and that results in giving him continual control day after day. The third requirement is to claim the Holy Spirit. Claim the Holy Spirit. When the Lord saves us, He imparts the Holy Spirit to indwell within us, and the Holy Spirit is with you the very moment you're saved all the way until you are received into the glories of heaven. This is what we refer to, again, as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a little bit different. The filling of the Holy Spirit is about every single believer making a conscious decision to allow the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our lives. So while the Holy Spirit has been given to indwell every single Christian, Every Christian must claim him for him to be truly on the throne of our hearts. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit is with you for your entire life on earth. Regardless of what you say, regardless of what you do, he's with you. But that doesn't mean that he is ruling on the throne of your heart that entire time. God wants more than each believer to have the Holy Spirit just indwell them. And I don't mean to minimize that at all. But he wants more than that. He wants us to go from the point of being indwelt with the Holy Spirit to also being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Imagine that you're stranded in the desert. You've been there for a long time. You've gone quite a significant amount of time without anything to drink, without anything to eat. Off in the distance, in nearly every direction that you look, it appears to be a river where you can finally satisfy your thirst, but as you get a little closer, every time it turns out to be nothing more than a mirage. Then imagine a, a traveler comes through in a truck offering you a cool glass of water, and he says, drink it up, you look thirsty. Now, you respond by saying, this is exactly what I need. You have no idea how long I've been here. I'm so thirsty. I need this for my continual existence. But imagine you take that glass of water. You don't actually drink the water. You're holding it, but you don't actually consume it. This is the way many of us are when it comes to being spirit-filled. We have the Holy Spirit, but it's not consumed. It's not taken advantage of. For some reason, Christians fail to understand what the Lord has offered us in the Holy Spirit. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and yet we continue to live our lives without being spirit-filled. We might as well be holding that cool glass of water without drinking it, all the while walking through the heat of the desert needing something to drink. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Claim him. Let him fill your life. We've mentioned the reasons as well as the requirements for being spirit-filled. And third, and this is the last, notice the results of the spirit-filled life. Look at verses 18 through 21 here in Ephesians chapter 5. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The results of the Spirit-filled life. So many of the words that we see in these verses here explain the results of what it means to be Spirit-filled. They deal with three relationships that we all have. They deal with our relationship to God. They deal with our relationship to circumstances. And they deal with our relationship to one another. First of all, our relationship to God, it ought to be a spirit of adoration. Verse 19 suggests this. Again, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. One mark of the spirit-filled Christian will be that he is speaking and singing praises to God all the time. As you're going about your day, you will find yourself praising God for what God is doing in your life how he has orchestrated certain events over the course of just your day, over the course of your week, how God has been good to you just today. Some of you may not be able to sing well. The good news is that, thankfully, God isn't concerned with how good you can sing, that just that you're approaching him with adoration. You should have a passion to praise your Savior for who he is and for what he's done for you. Our relationship to our circumstances ought to have a spirit of appreciation. Notice what we're told in verse number 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Should be a spirit of appreciation. Giving thanks, it says, always for all things. A spirit-filled Christian is not grumbling, is not complaining all the time. He is grateful for every circumstance. And he is able to give thanks to God regardless of what it may be that is going on in his life. When you can praise God, even when life is going tough, that doesn't mean that you're happy 
in the bad times. It just means that you're able to trust that God is greater than even your most trying circumstances. Have that spirit of appreciation. And third, our relationship with one another ought to, there ought to be a spirit of accommodation. Notice verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. A spirit-filled Christian is one who has learned to help and to support fellow Christians. He is willing to submit to others. We learn to submit to others because we understand in doing so, as we previously mentioned, we're actually submitting to Christ and to his leadership. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? I hope we understand that this is not a suggestion, but a command for every single believer. The Lord has equipped us with everything we need to live that Spirit-filled life. So let's embrace the gift of the Spirit. Let's live for the Lord in such a way that we get everything that God intends on us giving, getting rather, out of this Christian life. Would you bow with me in prayer here this evening? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for the reminder that was just even for me. Lord, if no one else got anything here tonight, I'm thankful for how you've spoken to me. And Lord, I pray that you would help help in my own life, Lord, to get these areas under submission, Lord, to give myself completely over to the Holy Spirit to fill me, Lord, to be the man that I need to be, to be the, be the person that you've called me to be. Lord, and I pray that we all share the same sentiment, that we all desire, Lord, to be spirit-filled Christians day by day, understanding, Lord, this is a commitment and a continual process, Lord, as we seek you and your face every single day. Lord, may the things that we do and the things that we say all be pleasing in your sight because we are spirit-filled Christians. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.